Well, glory to God, I, I, uh, I have a message I've entitled, The Faithful Father. And I want to talk about it this morning, and just because maybe you're here in this place and you may not be a father. Maybe you're not a father yet. Maybe you, you, you never became a father. Maybe, maybe you're a lady, you know, and you're just like, I'm here on Father's Day. They're going to be talking about the faithful father. Let me just, you know, bring, bring some good news. This message is for everyone. Come on. I'm not, when I bring the, the word, I'm not bringing a word for a select few people. I'm bringing the word for everybody. And so tune in your ears because this morning we're going to learn about the faithful father. And we're going to learn how we can emulate that in our own lives. Uh, no matter where you're at in life, whether you're a father or not, this is still going to be true to your life. Amen. And so happy Father's Day again. Father's Day really is a day of, uh, when I was growing up, it was a day for new neckties. Um, which my father still to this day does not know how to tie properly. And so anytime he's got a special event, he'll call me. And uh, so how the tables have turned, eh, Dad? Hey, praise God. Uh, and, you know, new cologne. Does anyone remember getting new cologne? And uh, I haven't got there yet. I think times have changed. But when I was growing up, it always a necktie and picking up some new cologne from my father. And for some reason, I would always uh, pick the strongest smelling one. And uh, that one was Brute, Brute Force. Does anyone remember Brute Force? Come on, if it wasn't Brute Force, it was Old Spice. It was one or the other, right? Growing up, that was the only two colognes that ever existed. And uh, I remember, I, I still, every time I smell Brute Force, by the way, they still sell it. Um, but every time I smell Brute Force, man, it brings back great memories of my childhood and, and rubbing up against Dad's, you know, scruffy face and smelling that Brute Force and just thinking that the world was great. Amen? Not a care in the world. As long as Daddy was around, I was all good. Um, you know, it's a day for hugs, and for some people, it's a day for long-distance phone calls. I remember when I was living in England, I was 18 years old, I moved away from home, uh, went off and you know, kind of wanted to adventure the world a little bit and travel a bit. And I remember Father's Day came, and, and the time change is different in England. I think they're about five hours ahead of us here. And uh, I remember I was like, oh, i got to call my dad. And I was scrounging for money. I was working part-time, but, you know, the pound versus the dollar was not that great. Uh, so all my savings had disappeared, and I realized I didn't even have any money on me. I didn't get paid for a couple of days. And so I did what every good child would do is I went to the payphone and I called Collect. And uh, to wish my daddy a, 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 <laughs> a happy Father's Day, I think it ended up costing him about $43 Canadian for about 10 minutes phone call, um, but I'm sure it made him smile, amen. You know, it's a day really uh, where we're honoring dads, we're honoring fathers, and you know, honor your father and your mother, that's how it's written in the Bible, and, you know, but I think that also it's written on our hearts, Amen. There's something inside of us that really just wants to spur us on to honor our, our, our parents, honor our mother and our father. Now, honor means to, to regard with great respect, uh, to esteem, or to give recognition. The fact that God even added honor your father to the Ten Commandments should just really show us how important it really is. Amen? And uh, so there's a lot of things that you can give your dad on Father's Day. But let's not forget that I think one of the most important things that we can do, uh, the best gift that we can give our fathers is to honor them and to really thank them and, and to be a blessing to them. And uh, someone once said, and uh, I never really believed this until of recent days, uh, that a father is a man who carries photographs where his money used to be. That seems to be true these days for me. There was a time where my wallet was stacked full of dollar-dollar bills, y'all. And uh, now uh, my, my son has more money in his piggy bank uh, than daddy has, but that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. 
I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now, as a dad, you want to stand strong. But uh, one look in your child's tearful eyes, and it will melt you. As a dad, you strive to be heroic. Though you know that there are days where you hardly deserve a medal. As a dad, you hope to be wise. Though a single question asked repeatedly by a six-year-old, why, 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 will eventually boggle the best of minds. Now, a few years back, I was doing a little bit of research. Um, Family Circus magazine published results from a national survey of fathers, and it had some pretty cool revealing results. Let me share them with you this morning. 94% of fathers feel that building a family is the hardest and yet most important thing that a man can do. 71% say that fatherhood is more demanding than they ever expected. However, 88 say that it's more rewarding than they ever imagined. And 90% say that becoming a father made them want to be a better person and a role model for their kids. And I don't know about you, but I think every one of those kind of rings true in my life. Now, the truth is, is that dads are supposed to be role models for their children, right? I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, um, I thought my dad was invincible, right? You remember those days when it was like you were in, in, in school and, uh, you know, you'd get into an argument with somebody? The best comeback ever was, well, my dad could beat up your dad, <laughs> but I meant it. <laughs> my, my, I, I meant it, you know? Uh, and I still mean it to this day. You know, there's, there's no one that I would rather have in my corner uh, than my father. My father's a calm, cool, collected man. Uh, but when the shoe drops, hello, you know, uh, watch out, you know, praise God. And so we should be a role model for our children. And children tend to follow in their father's footsteps in many ways. And it's so important that we set the right example. Maybe this is true in your life, but I find myself at the ripe old age of 41 doing things that my father did, right? And I was sharing with one of my neighbors who was having a tough time with his two boys, and, and I, I gave him a little tidbit, and this is not new, but I, I just shared with him. I said, listen, um, you have to understand something. You teach your kids what you know, but you impart to them what you are. And I said, this is true in your life, and it's true in my life. We can teach, 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 but at the end of the day, who we are gets imparted into our children. And for that reason, and that reason alone, I want to be the best version of me that I can be for my son. So that when he's older and he takes on some of my characteristics, they're not going to be the type of characteristics that start screaming and yelling when I'm driving. Come on, I'm preaching to myself this morning. It ain't you. I know you're all perfect. But I, 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 I want to I leave a heritage and a legacy for my child, my son, that, that when the times get tough, you, do, you don't back off. You figure out a way through it. I want to leave a legacy of faith that, 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 I, that my son would believe that truly all things are possible to those who believe. I, I want to see my son bounce off of the successes that I've had in my life, but also see the failures and be able to learn and to grow from them and avoid making the same mistakes that I had to, to make. I want to see my son succeed uh, uh, infinitely more than I could ever imagine, even for my own life. And so this morning, I want to look at a story in the Bible that I think offers just a beautiful model. Uh, not just for fathers, but for all of us here. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we wish you 
uh, just such a happy Father's Day. We just honor you today. Lord, we just thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your anointing upon us. We thank you, Lord, that even today, Lord God, that you would give us the grace to listen, to hear, to understand, but more than that, to be ones who apply the word to our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to stay attentive. Help us to hear your voice, even through your word today. Lord, open up our hearts that we may see, that we may know, and that we may grow in all things of the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, today we're going to be going to a familiar parable. And uh, this parable was told by Jesus. It's one of my favorites. I've read many different books. I've med- read many different uh, articles and even, uh, you know, diff- diff- different expository uh, things that, that would allude to different ideas upon this p- uh, particular parable. And uh, I love this parable because really I see myself in it, but I also see that it applies to each and every one of us. Now, you may know it as the prodigal uh, son, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, I don't know about you, but for, for many years, I could see myself in there as the son, right? And I was looking, and I was seeing, and I was extrapolating different things that I could apply to my, lo- my life. And so we kind of usually talk about this story from the perspective of the son. Uh, but hence the title today, I, I really didn't want to do that. I really wanted to look at it from the perspective of the father. I wanted to see what was going on with the father during this whole time because I don't know about you, but, you know, being a father now, I got a different take on this. And I, and I begin to understand how really anointed this father was to handle this situation. And if it's anything that we fathers need today, we need the anointing of God upon our lives. We, we need God's anointing each and every day. We need it with our families. We need it with our children. We need it with our marriages. We need it within our businesses and our workplaces. We need the anointing of God to help us to continue to grow and learn and expand the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. And so the Father uh, in this story represents our Heavenly Father. And as such, he is, really is the perfect parent. When you begin to take a look at how he handles different situations, a model of fatherhood, I would say, at its very best. And as I read this story, I see four traits that we're going to discuss today uh, as a faithful father that you and I could really begin to emulate in our lives. And so if you're taking notes, which I highly suggest that you do, uh, number one, your first note would be this, is that the faithful father was a providing father. And so we're going to just kind of open up our Bibles here. But the Father provided for his family. And as Jesus begins the story, we pick it up in Luke 15. It says this. It says, a man had two sons. The younger son uh, told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. All right. I want to just take a couple minutes and just kind of share some things on this, some things that I've learned. The very fact that a son would ask his father for his portion before his father had passed away would have been an incredible embarrassment within their society. It it, it, it would have been the type of thing that would have shunned the son from everyone and everything around. This would have been the type of behavior that could have excluded him from any further family dealings. And so the, the, son is kind of, uh, the, the, the son is kind of brazen. 
He's, he's, he's a little bold. He's a little forward. And, and what I'm thinking in my mind as a young person, as I, as I was a young person, well, I'm still a young person. I'm just going to put it out there. Why not? Uh, I, I see something here, making bold moves, trying to figure out maybe he had some business plans. Maybe he saw an opportunity, as we find out a little bit later, if you're familiar with the story. He didn't really have any business plans. He had some plans to party. He had some plans to be the cool dude. Uh, and, and he saw an opportunity, and he took it. And so we see here, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. It's tripping out, he says. Stop tripping out. This one sounds better, yeah? Oh, there's my voice. I felt like I was on the edge of getting too loud there. Um, so here we see the, the, the sun. Now forget the sun's self-centered attitude of entitlement in this moment, okay? So we see that, that that's true. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've been there yourself where you've maybe been the self-centered one. Maybe you've had a, uh, an attitude of entitlement or maybe you've known someone who has. Not a whole lot of fun to be around if I could just, you know, say that publicly. But what I want you to notice is that this father had an estate. This is interesting. He had an estate already. He had wealth that he had intended to leave to his children as an inheritance. This father had put a plan in motion that included not only providing for his family right now, but providing for his family at a later date. Now, this is something that was very important in culture in this time. Everything that you did was, was done for your children's sake. The minute that you had a child, and this is, rings true in my life, I remember, I think I've shared this once before, but I remember the very first time holding Levi uh, after years of believing God and after years of, of trying everything that we could, holding my son in my hands. And now we didn't find out whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. And, uh, you know, everybody and their grandmother said it was going to be a girl, except for me, I think, and my mother. We just said it's going to be a boy. And then I, then I started wavering because everybody was saying it was a girl. And, you know, all the girls have their things. Well, if you hang this way, it's a boy. If it's a girl, if you, if you burp this way in the morning, it's a boy. You know, if you're attracted to crackers and cheese, it's, you know, there's all sorts of weird things out there. Uh, but anyways, I'm holding Levi in my arms. And all of a sudden, there was great excitement kind of shadowed by fear holding this little baby in my arms going, what did we do? Like looking at my wife, looking at this baby, going, we're responsible for this. You know, and then changing diapers and all-nighters and all sorts of stuff and all the, the wonderful things that comes with having a baby. I began to realize in my mind, whoa, I no longer live for myself. That scripture that, 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 that reads that we no longer live for ourselves, but it's Christ who lives in us. That became so real in that moment to me. That all of a sudden, every decision that I make... Every dollar that I spend, right, every attitude that I carry with me is now some way, shape, or form going to affect this little beautiful creature that I hold in my hands. And I'm freaking out internally, but at the same time, I'm absolutely delighted. And I begin to realize that, wow, this is so much bigger than I ever anticipated. Everybody always told me, Brian, when you have a kid, your life changes. Can I just tell you, young folks that maybe aren't there yet? I don't care how many times people tell you that. It will not prepare you for how much your life actually changes. <laughs> it just won't, right? There's nothing that can prepare you for fatherhood. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so he's got an inheritance for his children that he's beginning to, to, to establish and beginning to collect. And so he's made some moves that were wise, and he's beginning to grow financially and an influence within his society. 
But as the story continues, we find out that the father had flocks and herds, and even, look at this, hired servants. He paid his employees, employees a living. Those who were working on his land had, the Bible says, food enough to spare. So not only was he taking care of his family, but he was taking care of those employees which had devoted their lives to taking care of his livestock. Uh, you know, and this would have been one of those jobs in this society was probably not at the top of your list coming out of high school. You remember sitting with your guidance counselor? Does anybody remember that? Back in the day, we used to have to sit with our guidance counselor. What is it that you want to do? They'd make you do a bunch of tests, and, and, and they would kind of project your future of what you're good at, what you could become, all that kind of stuff. And I remember the guidance counselor asking me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a garbage man. She just looked at me like shocked, like waiting for me to laugh. I was like, no, I'm serious. I think being a garbage man is the coolest job in the whole world. You get to hang on to a back of a truck legally. You can't do that unless you're a garbage man. You get to take things that people don't want and you get to throw it as hard as you want in the back of that truck and smash it, right? Uh, and then you get to toss those, 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 those expensive, as I found out later on in life, garbage cans aren't cheap and you get to toss them uh, if you're having a bad day and nobody says a thing to you. Right? You got anger management courses built right into your work. It's fantastic. Well, I want to do it, right? Uh, thank God I did not become a garbage man, although I wouldn't have probably minded. I'd probably be having the time of my life. But God had other plans for my life. And so we see here that they had enough. They had enough. Even though this job would have been at the lower end of the spectrum of jobs that you could have walked into, callings you could have walked into, he paid his employees well enough that there was more than enough. And so you see this father has a caring heart. You see this father ha has the, the ability and, and also the forethought to think of those who are around them. Even his servants earned a good living and had more than what they needed themselves. The father was providing for his family in abundance. As the Bible says in Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Wow. There's a mindset here that goes past your thoughts and, and, and your selfish desires to all of a sudden formulating, we're going to begin to build a life for our children. We're going to begin to establish our children. And let me just say this, just because it was the way it was for you does not mean it has to be that way for your children. God can take your circumstances and your situations and begin to turn them around so that you no longer have to partake in either the lack or the poor decisions, but you can start making decisions now that will set up your children and their life in the future to receive the goodness of God. So by this standard, the prodigal's father was a good man. We see right off the bat that the father was a good man. I mean, how different would this story have been if the son had gone to the father and asked for his portion of the inheritance at early, and the Bible says, and the father clocked him in the eye, and his eye turned black, and that was the end of it? How different would that have been? Because I don't know about you, but that might have been my response. How dare you? What are you thinking? Like, it's as if you're wishing me dead already. I've got work to do. I've got more to establish, and you're putting a real kink in my plans. And by the way, you have embarrassed me publicly in front of all of our friends and all of our, our families and all of our community. You have marked me now with the mark of embarrassment and the mark of shame, and all you want to do is take this money, go run, and party. But that's not his response. We would all do well to follow in his footsteps. The father's job is multifaceted, but one of the most important roles that I think is out there is to be a provider. 
And God takes that job very seriously. Have you ever considered 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, which says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Look at this. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So when we refuse to take care of our, our family, our immediate family, those of our household, the Bible declares us to be worse than unbelievers. That is some serious stuff. That's not light, right? That's not like blessed are those who, no. This is like cursed are those who do not. That's one of those serious kind of notions where the Father's trying to get something to us. So when God blesses you with a family, what I began to realize is that he's trusting you to take care of them to make sure that their needs are being met. And not only that, but, but by providing for your family, you also demonstrate the value of hard work, and you model biblical principles for handling money. Providing for our children isn't about giving them everything they want. Although I want to give my son Levi everything he wants, I understand as a father that I gave him everything he wants, we would no longer have a place to live. And so I've got to make tough choices, and I'm beginning to learn the art of negotiation. And it seems that when I'm at work, my son likes to read books on negotiating. And he seems to be a very good, tough negotiator, right? No, you can bring two cars to church. Grabs two, looks at me, smiles, grabs three. Dada? No, two. Okay, grabs another one. Grabs four. And I say, no, two. So he puts one back, and he goes, okay. And he walks out with three. And I'm like, I just got bamboozled. By a two-and-a-half-year-old. What is going on here? Smart little guy. It's about providing what they need, not necessarily everything that they want. But here's what I began to understand. It's about teaching your kids to trust their father. It's about setting them up so that they have a trust in their father. And if they know that their earthly father will always provide for them and meet their needs then it's much easier for them to trust in their Heavenly Father to do the same. I had a wonderful father growing up. Wasn't perfect, but I remember when I was probably about seven or eight, we would always rented a house, and my parents always had a dream of owning their own house. And for about four years straight, my father was working close to seven days a week. He was a bricklayer. It's hard on your body, it's hard on your knees, it's hard on your back, your muscles. Suffered many different injuries throughout the course of his career as a bricklayer. Um, and that's exhausting work. I don't know if you've even just maybe cut the grass. Like I have a townhouse. I have about four square feet in the front and no grass is grown in the back. And I cut the grass and I come in and I'm ready for a nap. And my father was on the tools, heavy blocks and bricks all day long. And he was the best at what he did. Everywhere he could, he, he would shine. So he would work five days a week. About start at 6 o'clock in the morning. He'd get home at about 5.30. Um, and then he would go to my baseball games. He'd go to my hockey games. He would cheer me on in whatever I was doing, whether he liked it or not. He would do all these wonderful, great things. And uh, then on the weekends, he would work side jobs. So he worked the job job, you know, uh, during the week. And then he would work side jobs. And he'd be out there 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning until the job got done. And he did this for close to three to four years. Why? So that he could provide a house for his family. And I remember as a young child walking into our house, and I remember the smile on my dad's face as he kind of looked around the house, and it was a mess. And I could tell you it was like a four-year-old on Christmas when the Christmas tree is just filled with gifts. 
And the look of pride on my father's face that he was able to do what he knew that he was created to do to provide for his family will be with me forever. And so a faithful father is a providing father. Number two, if you're still with me taking notes, this is one that's going to speak to all of us here today, gentlemen. Get ready. Put on your seatbelts because here we go. Furthermore, the faithful father was a patient father. Now, if you have children, you know for sure that your patience has been tested. It was probably tested this morning. It was probably tested five minutes ago. It might even be tested right now. As I'm looking around, some of you, your kids, you know, they're, and you're giving them the, you're giving them the look. I, I see it. I notice it, right? The faithful father was a patient father. Jesus continues his story. Look what he says in, in verse 12 and 13. It says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Now, let me ask you the obvious question here. Was this father stupid? Right? Some would, some would say yes. I mean, why in the world would he agree to give a pile of money to a child who was obviously spoiled, was obviously self-centered, couldn't he have predicted how the story would end? Right? And this is the tough thing as parents. The answer is no, he's not stupid, and yes, he knew exactly how the story would end. And so do we. We know from reading the rest of the story that this self-absorbed adolescent eventually learned humility and respect. He repented of his foolishness and humbly returned home, and he learned his lesson, but he had to learn it the hard way. In the meantime, his father simply practiced patience. He trusted. He waited. I'm sure that he was prayerfully waiting. I'm sure that sometimes there was blood, sweat, and tears in his, in his quiet place. He trusted and waited for his son to grow up and to start making good choices. Now, whether you're raising a toddler or whether you're in the teenage stage, um, patience is a virtue that every father needs. It doesn't come easily, though. You know how patience comes? It comes the hard way. Learning patience comes with trials and tribulations and troubles and, and all sorts of opportunities to become patient. And the more that I live on this earth, and I, I declare myself to be a patient person, but I'm finding out in my, in my 40s, in my early 40s, I don't think I'm as patient as I think that I am. Like, I've always been really chill. Not much has gone under my skin. I mean, everything could be going chaotic, and I'm just like, cool. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. But, but, but now all of a sudden I'm realizing that there's like this bubbling on the inside of me with, with, with people that just have no sense, people that, that don't operate with common sense, people that are bad at driving, people that don't understand proper formation of lines at the grocery store, you know, people that butt in front of me. People, I mean, all of a sudden I have opportunity after opportunity to practice my patience, and, and that's not even in my hope. Right? Uh, you know, anybody like love the, uh, as much as I love this, and I know that one day it probably won't happen, and so I treasure it now, but in the heat of the moment when you're trying to get something done, and, and then your, your, your kid comes along to try to help you, right? They intend well, but they put you back 47 steps on what you're doing, and then it's mixed with a dada, 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 look at me. Dada, look. Dada, dada car. Yes, I've seen all your cars. Da-da, da-da. And you're going on and you're going on. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm realizing there's something important happening here that I'm missing. I have a task to do, but the task of what I'm doing right now with my hands is not quite as important as the task of raising a man of God. 
And so all of a sudden, I got to decide real quick, do I give my focus to my son? Do I give my focus to whatever it is that I'm trying to accomplish over here? And how do I find a way to incorporate it? So now I try to incorporate it. So if I'm building something, I'll give my son a tool, say, come on, come help daddy, which normally ends up with him scratching the car with the screwdriver or doing something crazy with it. But I understand it's all part of par of raising up a young man. And so patience is something that we need. And patience, I feel, is something that never goes away. And it's something that we learn through the activity of just living. It's something that we learn to understand that late in a second, there's going to be times where he may not want to show me his cool cars. And I'm going to miss it so much. And I've got to be acutely aware of the time and how sensitive time is and how quickly time goes. And, you know, when I get together even with my parents, and, I, and we hear it too over here with our pastors, um, you know, when they start rem- reminiscing about when we were small. And I think really what they're trying to tell us is enjoy this season because it goes by so quickly. All of a sudden they're teenagers and they're copying an attitude and all of a sudden they know more than you do. And, and it's just like my whole teenage life repeated right in front of me. Training takes patience. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, that we are to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. But training takes time. You talk about any, any, any sports hero of yours, maybe you're into sports, any one of them who has made it to number one at their craft or whatever they do, one common factor that you will hear about their lives is that they trained harder than every other single person. And when others were, you know, playing, when others were doing this or doing that, they were on the courts or on the rinks before school. Right after school, they were back on whatever they were doing, and they were doing it until mom and dad told them to come, and hey, wait a second, it's time for bed. Just, just five more minutes, and the negotiations would start, and there's something about training that takes time, and time takes patience. It's repetitive by nature, which will require a boatload of patience. I figured that when I became a father, when I said no, it would just mean no. Right? I began to understand that no is never a no with a toddler. It's, it's, a, it's a test of wills. It's a test of outweighing one another. You know? And uh, it's one of those things where I began to learn, that, wait a second, I've got to learn to develop patience. And if I get to the place where I start saying things like, I told you no already, right? Uh, it's like, whoa, hey, hey, where did that come from? Right? Training is repetitive over and over and over and over. And when you don't feel like it anymore, you got to give it some more. Over and over and over and over. But here's the beautiful thing. That just remember how patient our Heavenly Father is with us. And then we're able to emulate that with our own children. Every time I want to become impatient with Levi, I just quickly remind myself of myself. And I remind myself how patient God has been with me, how many opportunities I've given my Heavenly Father to give up on me, and I go, okay, I got this. I got this. He's not doing so bad. He's doing all right compared to me. He's starting to get a lot quicker than I'm getting it. So it turns out to be true for the prodigal son. He got off track, right? He made a lot of silly mistakes, but eventually he returned to the right path. And in the meantime, his father waited patiently. I can imagine the father just sitting on the stoop of his house every evening, just looking out into the distance, waiting patiently. Maybe today's the day. Maybe the day, today is the day that my son comes home. Maybe the day is here now when he realizes how good he had it with us. This could be the very day. Every day he waited and waited and waited. 
And I love the fact that by the reaction of the next couple of scriptures that we are about to read, he never lost hope. He always had hope for his son. So furthermore, a faithful father, number three, is a passionate father. After the prodigal boy wasted his inheritance on parties and ladies and all that stuff, he was left with nothing. Like, think about how much pardon you got to be to be left with nothing. His friends abandoned him, as they often do when your resources dry up. And he was forced to get a job as a farmhand. So he didn't starve to death. Now, the only thing that he realized how wrong he had been and how good that he had had it back home, it took him literally shoveling, you know, the good stuff off of the farm to begin to realize that he had made a big error in the way that he was doing life and began to meditate upon the life that he had with his family and began to meditate that meditate on even, even dad's farmhands, even those paid servants have a better life than what I'm experiencing right now. I'm, I'm literally eating the same food as, as, as all these animals. I've got, I've got a hungry belly. I've I, I, I got to sleep in the hay, you know, and i got to start thinking about the way that I'm living life right now. Jesus goes on in verse 20 of Luke 15. He says, so he returned home to his father. Could you put yourself in his position just for a minute? <clears throat> Imagine how nervous this son is. You've embarrassed your father publicly. You've squandered all of his life savings, right? You brought shame upon your name for the acts that, that, that were happening, you know, in spending that money. Uh, and here you go, you come trotting home. I, I can imagine, you remember uh, when I was a child, um, I, I was uh, doing donuts in my parents' caravan. I talk about their caravan a lot, a lot of good memories. I was doing donuts, and uh, I got a little bump on it. And uh, I, I, I had a decision to make. Do I go home and tell dad what I did after he told me specifically not to be doing donuts in the caravan, or do I run to Mexico? <laughs> and I had to decide. And I remember the fear and trepidation. I got home, I parked the van. It wasn't even a big bump. It was just a small little bump. And you probably wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't even confessed to it, but I've got a really bad or a really good conscience, I guess. I gotta get it out. And uh, I get home and I'm parked in, in the caravan and I'm just sitting there. And I guess I'd been sitting there for some time because I was really contemplating, like, what do I do here? Like, I'm, I'm a little scared of what's to come my way. And uh, I'm parked there so long that my dad comes out and opens the door, and I just about jumped right out of my skin because I was so focused on what I was going to say, how I was going to smooth this over. And dad opens the door. He goes, you good, buddy? Yeah. He's like, you okay? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Dad, I did. I was doing donuts, and he told me not to do donuts, and I'm so sorry. And I got a little bubble, and I'm just going off, and I'm tears are rolling. And, and, and Dad goes, did you learn your lesson? I go, yeah, I'll never do another donut in your car again. I just waited until I got my own. <laughs> but I remember my dad recognized, he recognized that the punishment that I was putting myself through was, was way better than anything he could have come up on his own. And so you see the, the son coming home, and I'm not sure how long the, the, the journey was for him, but I could imagine every step that he's getting closer to home, he's, he's going over the speech in his head of, of how he's going to grovel and beg for forgiveness. And, and, and maybe he's even like, you know, maybe he's been preparing his behind for, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe he's, I don't know what he's been doing, but I know this, it probably wasn't easy for him to come home. And I know that he's probably expecting a certain kind of reaction when he did come home. And while he was still long way off, his father saw him coming. And this is the moment of truth. 
And look what the Bible says, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. Now, if you've done your father wrong and you see your father, father running towards you, just imagine the feelings that you're having. Like, you're like, oh boy, here it goes, right? You're bracing yourself. And the father does something totally unexpected. He embraces him, the Bible says. And he kissed him. And that kiss was a kiss of approval. Notice how the father reacted when he saw his boy on the horizon. The father did not hold back his affection for his son. I doubt this was a one-time occurrence. I'm probably assuming, if I can just let my imagination run a little wild, I'm assuming every morning that that father woke up, he would say good morning to his son, tell him how special he was, tell him how loved he was, tell him how accepted he was, just like our Heavenly Father does with us in our time of devotion with him. I'm sure he hugged and kissed his kids every day when they were home. A whole lot of studies have been done uh, that demonstrate the importance of fathers showing affection for their kids. And unfortunately, for many loving and caring fathers, sometimes showing affection represents the most challenging aspect of parenting, right? It's like we're tough men. We don't say I love you. We say it once, and we just don't change our minds, and we live it out, right? Maybe hugging your children is a little bit hard for you. Maybe you didn't have a father that liked to hug you or, or whatever, vice versa. My, my father and I, although we had a great relationship, it wasn't that kind of huggy. It was like, good job, son. Right? It was like one of those. But as we grow up a little bit older, now we never leave without saying I love you and hugging. And it's been, been, been effort on both of our parts to make sure that we understand that life is a gift and life is precious and life can come to an end at any moment. And I never want to leave this earth without letting those closest to me that I love them, that I appreciate them, that I care for them. And this father was no different. Hugs and kisses, you know, uh, that's the most common way of showing affection to our children. But there's other ways that we can do it too. When I get down on the, on the floor with Levi and I'm playing cars with him, you know what I'm telling him? Son, I love you. You're worth it. Daddy's knees and back are cracking, but you're worth it. I love you. When I throw him up on my shoulders, right now we're in a big shoulder kick, and I'm doing it while he's still just 28 pounds, but I know another 10 pounds and it won't be on my shoulders no more, but I hoist him up on my shoulders, and every once in a while I get to see a picture, and I see the look of happiness on his face, and I remember, you know, there was a time when I was on my daddy's shoulders, and I remember how awesome that was. You feel invincible. And then he starts trying to ride me like a, like, like a horse, and come on, daddy, let's go. And it's like, Whoa. I remember there's so many different ways that I can show my son that I love him by telling him how great he is, telling him how awesome he is, celebrating all the wins. It's so easy for me to be able to focus on some of the things that I like to see being done better, but instead I'm focusing on the things that he's doing well, and I'm encouraging him in those things. I want to be a passionate father. I want to be a father that's passionate about what he's passionate about, and I come to understand that sometimes our children get into things that we may not be into, right? They get hobbies that you have completely no idea about. But a good father is going to take some time and learn about what that thing is so that they can get down on their, on their children's level and understand. I don't have a girl. Um, you know, I have a boy right now. But if I had a girl, I would just as enthusiastically sit through uh, tea parties, just like that video up there, right? I would do whatever they were into. Why? Because I'm passionate about you. And whatever makes you passionate, I want to get alongside on I want to be right there with you. I want to be your best coach. Whatever you get into, son, I'm going to be there for you. I want to make sure that I'm the father that's showing up with the cool drinks and the cool snacks and all that cool stuff. I want to support you, my son. And guess what? 
That support never changes. Some of you I see in this room, your children have grown up. Maybe your, 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 your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents. And can I tell you something from a 41-year-old? My father's good job, son, means more to me now than it ever has. Hey, son, you're a good father. You want to see the waterworks happen? Right? So don't ever give up on being passionate with your children. Love them passionately. Encourage them passionately. Be as passionate as this father was to run to your children and to let them know that you are for them and not against them. There's already enough against our children today. They don't need to feel like mom and dad are against them either. Find the opportunities to love and to encourage and to build them up. And lastly, as we finish with this, because we got some business to take care of, he was a positive father. A positive father. Luke 15, 22, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest rope in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. That was the family signet. You think you're not part of this family, but I'm going to show you and everyone else around that you are part of this family. Sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. Wagyu beef in the Old Testament right here, folks. We must celebrate with a feast for his son. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Look at that. I love this because you know what? That father could have lectured to that son. That father could have started yelling and screaming. And I think he would have been in his right mind to do so personally. He had every right to give him the old, uh, you know, my favorite. I told you. I told you, didn't I? Right? I've been waiting like 40 years to be able to say that to someone. I told you so. <laughs> but all of a sudden I see that's not, that's not biblical. It's not here. But instead he praises him for his one good decision. He could have focused on the million decisions, the poor ones that he had made leading up to this point. But instead the father, what does he do? He focuses on the one good decision that his son made. He was quick to forgive his son's mistakes and to celebrate his son's successes, rather than focusing on the negative, what does he do? He focuses on the positive. Now our kids can do some pretty crazy things. You with teenagers, I pray for you. I bless you. I ask God for a double portion of patience and grace for you, right? They do some crazy, crazy, silly things, right? They're just thinking to yourself, like, where is your mind? Listen, between like 12 years old and like I would say 27, it just disappears, and at 27, it shows back up, and it says something to the effect of, Mom, Dad, um, yeah, most of what you told me was true. I had to learn the hard way, but most of it, I, know, I see what you were doing now. I didn't see it then. Please excuse me. I'm sorry, right? I thought I knew everything, and my parents knew nothing, right up until about 25, 26. And then I began to realize real quick, wait, there's, Mom and Dad know some stuff. Not only do they know some stuff, they're pretty cool, right? They, they, they've got it going on. They, they know what's up. As parents, we need to be intentional about re re reversing that habit of trying to focus on the negative, but begin to focus on the positive things. We need to praise our kids more than we punish them. We need to congratulate them when they have succeeded and tell them that we're proud of them when they do good. Good job cleaning your room. Simple, yet effective. Thanks for clearing your plates. You're such a good reader. I'm so proud of you for earning that scholarship. Even when they're old, we can continue praising them. And by praising them for their good choices and their small successes, we encourage them to keep making good choices and to stay on the path of success. 
Children need their parents' approval. It's built into the way that we're wired. They need our forgiveness. They need our encouragement. So we've got to determine to be positive. Listen to this. Matthew, you can do your thing. This is from a little mini book that has been sitting on my shelf for years now by John Eldridge. And he says this. He says, every little boy is asking the question, do I have what it takes? And every little girl is asking the question, am I lovely? And your job as a father is to answer it a thousand times in a thousand different ways. And if you do so, then I'll say to you today, you've done your job well as a father. And if you can honestly look back and say, I've failed in some areas, you have time to make things right right now. You have time right now to start course correcting the way things have been. Begin bringing them to how they can be. So what do we learn from the parable of the faithful father? Well, we learn that the father ought to provide for his family. A father needs to be patient. A father ought to passionately love his children. And a father ought to be positive. And to all the providing, patient, passionate, and positive fathers here today, I want to thank you. Because you're making the world of difference. And we need this next generation to be strong. We need, to, we need to have them know who they are in Christ. We need them to know that they're loved, they're cherished, that there's a call upon their life, that they're not a mistake, but that they are a mission. We need this next generation to rise up like never before, to wrap things up so that we can all go home to be with the Lord. Amen. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for godly men, godly women at Capital City Church. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of fathers. And Lord, I thank you that above all, you're our Heavenly Father. And to you, we look. We look to you as our source of encouragement, and we look to you as our source of strength. And Father, I pray right now that your anointing would continue to flow in all of the dads' lives here. Lord, that they would lead with boldness and encourage, Lord God, that they would pick up when our children fall and build up. Lord, I thank you for the gift of fatherhood. What an awesome and a mighty privilege it is to be called father. And Lord, I thank you and I bless you and I honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. And maybe you're here, whether you are a father or not whether you've had a loving father growing up or not, maybe you need to know today that you have a father in heaven who loves you, who adores you, and who has provided a way of escape for you today. He's always patient. He always provides. He passionately loves you as displayed in giving up of his only son so that you and I could be reconciled to a holy God. And he always wants what's best for you. That's what I love reading the Bible because the more I read the Bible, the more that I see that everything is geared towards making sure that you and I, his children, have the best life that we can have here on this earth. That we can have the most impact for his glory. That through us, this world would know that Jesus is alive. Jesus loves them and has a plan for them. And he wants nothing more for you 
than to be a part of his eternal family. And so here at Capital City Church, we say a simple little prayer. You guys can go ahead and put that prayer up. But we say a little prayer together. We ask the Lord to come into our lives, to be our Lord and our Savior. The Bible says that if you just believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, that you will be saved. And so as an act of faith, we say this simple little prayer together. And we ask the Lord to come into our lives and to be our Lord and our Savior. So let's say this together this morning. Say, Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. I repent and I'm purposing to change the way I think and live. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, help me learn about you and to grow in this kingdom lifestyle. I declare that you're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time, I want you to be bold, and I want you to let someone know around you, hey, I said that prayer for the first time. Would you be able to help me? Would you be able to help me on my journey? You can always come up at the end of this service after we're done doing what we got to do this morning. We'll have some people here at the front that are ready to pray with you, pray for you. Be bold and come up and let us agree with you to see the Lord move on your behalf. Amen.